0: Welcome to Real Marketers, where we hear from marketers who move fast, ask forgiveness, not permission, obsess about driving results, and are filled to the brim with crazy ideas and the guts to implement them. This is not a fireside chat, and there's absolutely no bullshit allowed here. And I'm your host, Stephanie Cox. I have more than 15 years of marketing experience, and I've pretty much done about everything in my career. I believe speed is better than perfection. I use the oxford comma. I love Coca-Cola, have exceptionally high standards, and surround myself with people who get shit done. On this show, my guests and I will push boundaries, share the real truths about marketing, and empower you to become a real marketer. Shitty marketing. We've all seen it. And if we're being really honest, we've all done it at some point in our career. You know what I'm talking about. When you're being measured on leads and you're not close to hitting your target for the quarter, so your immediate reaction is to send more emails, run more ads, you get the picture. For years, B2B marketers have seemed to think that they can create boring marketing that is focused on volume to drive leads rather than spending time creating engaging marketing experiences for specific accounts. That's exactly what we're talking about with today's guest. In this episode, we chat with Justin Keller, VP of marketing at Terminus. He has more than 15 years of marketing experience, and we're talking about why focusing on leads drives the wrong behaviors for marketers, how to think about brand marketing today, why shitty marketing needs to stop, and so much more. I don't know why I haven't had you on the show until now. It feels like a huge miss on my part, but super excited to chat with you today. And before we dive into, I think what'll be a really great conversation around marketing, would love for you to tell the audience what's, you know, one thing about you that few people know.
1: Um, Sure. So I am, when I'm not marketing, which seems like all the time, um, I'm a musician. Like I, uh, you know, kind of grew up always wanting to be in a band, but I moved around a lot when I was a kid. So I never had, um, you know, the chance to start like a little garage band. So I just learned to play all the instruments myself. And I learned how to record all of the tracks myself. And so, I do a lot of that on the side. It's just kind of like my my little passion project um and it's everything from like jazz to like i'm I'm actually working not kidding on like a little death metal album all about marketing right now. um so it's all over the place, but it, that's kind of my 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 fun weekend activity.
0: That is definitely unusual. I don't think I've met someone else that has like that big of an interest in the music. That's cool. any yeah. like favorite musicians or anything that inspires you?
1: yeah gosh i mean favorite musicians i that's one of those things like picking a favorite kid i don't think i can do it um i do think like i i really really look to other people to do the same thing like you know solo musicians that are actually like entire bands so like manage nails for example is just one or for a long time was just one guy and that's kind of like where i got the idea that i could do all this stuff on my own um so people that do it like that that are kind of like the entire band themselves, I think is super cool.
0: Awesome. So we talked a little bit about music, but let's talk about your other passion, marketing. I think one of the things that I am really excited to start chatting about is this idea of like marketing and bad marketing and how many of us have made such horrible marketing decisions in our career and then sometimes continue to do that. So maybe let's start with it's 2021 you know, what do you think marketing is doing well in general? And where are we kind of like really screwing it all up?
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, like, it's a fun time to be a marketer right now. Um, Just because there, it's more difficult than ever, because technology so advanced, we have so much data at our fingertips, that um, it is kind of like, you know, a lot more scientific, but at the same time, I think, you know, the good thing about it is, I think really good marketers are very left brain, right brain oriented and the ability to kind of fuse a lot of like all the technology and data that we've got at our fingertips, but then turning that into really good experiences for people. That's magical. Like that's, that's what gets me really enthused about what's going on right now. But like on the flip side, I think uh, like we may have even lost like an entire generation of marketers because of all that technology. And because all of a sudden, um, like for the last 20 years, like we're marketers measured it on, it's pretty much leads for the most part. Right. And. Oh, you know, don't even get me
0: started on leads.
1: Uh, we Let's get started on leads, Stephanie. Um, <laughs> it,
0: oh my gosh. I, Oh, go, go. You go first.
1: <laughs> how uh, like, look, look at marketing in a vacuum. If your job is to generate leads and that's all you're caring about, you probably make so many stupid regrettable decisions. If you were to look at yourself, um, you know from a neutral standpoint like if sales isn't getting enough leads what do you do you start spamming harder you try and yell louder um you kind of you know just start um you know panicking almost and i think you you know make really bad decisions because you're oriented around hitting a number and you're not considering that you know leads are people at in, in in real life you know like that email address isn't someone that your sales team can spam like that's a human being that you know Cares about things and is interested in, and you know, ha, uh, has a sense of humor. And I think that because we think about them as a line on a spreadsheet, we kind of dehumanize them, and that like shows up in so many negative ways around creating a really fun customer experience. But it's hard. Um, like I think every marketer would love to make cool stuff all day, every day, if they could. But because they have all these competing. Um, you know, priorities, they've got a salesperson yelling at them, they end up making really poor decisions. And I think it just, you know, poisons the well for the rest of the marketers. Um, It makes marketing seem really kind of slimy sometimes. And I hate that. I hate marketing a lot of the time for that reason.
0: Well, and you're so right. And here's what's crazy is, you know, I think you and I've both probably been in that situation where like sales is yelling at us. We need more leads. We need more leads. And then we get them more leads because we do these horrible things to get the leads. And then they're like, these are crappy leads. Give me better leads. And it's just like this vicious cycle that never stops. So how do you think about, you know, like that's a problem you're being, which I think is no one should marketers should not be measured on leads. But what do you think you do if you're in a situation where you're a marketing leader who's being measured on leads and it's almost incentivizing you to do this bad behavior? How do you break away from that?
1: That's the, that's the million dollar question. Um, and I'm, I, I'll, I'll try not to get too soapboxy here because I work at an ABM company. Um, but I think that's kind of the solution. And I'm, I think people misunderstand ABM thinking that it is kind of this really wonky um, term. And it's not. It's really just like if if you're trying to drive leads, you're trying to market to the entire world and just be really loud, and you're playing a volume game, and that prohibits you from doing really fun, really interesting, really creative stuff. When you're doing, when you're focusing on account, when you're focusing on call it 50 companies, and that's all you care about in the world, and if you can generate uh, opportunities with 10 of them, then you're probably going to hit your quarter. It makes things, it frees you up to do so much more fun stuff because you're not trying to grind through as many leads as you can. You can spend that time that you would have been, you know, putting together nurture tracks and and trying to optimize your click through rates on your ads to do really cool things like, hey, this important customer um, cares about these things. How can we tell them our story in a way they would be really interested in? And that's like, in a lot of ways, kind of the way marketing used to be like, I mean, I don't know, 70 years ago. Um, And so it's kind of like we're back there. But we've got a lot more data and technology to make cool experiences now.
0: No, I completely on board with that whole concept. I think for me, like the part that's so difficult about it is like getting people, especially when you have to your point around like, these generations of marketers, or even business leaders, who for so long, you know, like when I came into marketing, gosh, like, over 15 years ago, leads is all anyone cared about. And you have a lot of management layers where that's still what they care about. So part of like the, the challenge is how do you get them to say like, you really don't want leads. I think I say this all the time to people. If you want leads, I could get you 10,000 leads like in a week. I mean, they're not going to convert and they're not going to do anything. But if you just need email addresses, okay. <laughs> like... But how do you get them to understand like there's more value to kind of this idea of what you're talking about, which is this highly personalized a marketing experience to a smaller number of people versus it, quantity, quantity, quantity.
1: I think... I mean, at the end of the day, a salesperson doesn't want leads. They want revenue. They want to hit their qu- quota. They want to get their bonus. And if you can convince them that... um you know what, you're going to make their life easier by giving them a you know smaller barrel of fish to shoot at. Um, you'll still get there. It's just a different way of, of looking at it. And then I think it just like it snowballs from there, right? If you start building a reputation of having a really great buying experience, that builds on itself and it makes it easier for you to do more of it. So it's one of those things where I think it hurts to rip the bandit off a lot um and to stop caring about leads as much i've done it before a couple times and it is an uncomfortable you know very tense couple of months as you start to reorient the things that you and your, your sales counterparts are looking at but as soon as the numbers start showing up in the pipeline you get that trust back and you start to work together in a new way because that's the other thing it's not just marketing anymore, um, if you're trying to create a really great buying experience, it's marketing and sales working together to create that. And all of a sudden, you can start having, I don't know if it's fun, but you start working together, you're pulling in the same direction, and it it, it feels a lot better. Um, and you do get a deeper level of trust with your your sales team when you do it.
0: So how do you start those conversations? Like in the past, how have you like went to like the head of sales and been like, listen, you don't want leads. I don't want to give you leads. I want to come up with a list of 50 accounts. And I want to do these highly personalized experiences for them to drive your pipeline. How do you get them on board with that?
1: The way I did it, and this is not the best way to do it. I'll tell you how I did it. And then I'll tell you what I learned from it. So it was one of these things where um, it, it was... It was stuff like we and and to be clear, leads, hot leads are great people that come in saying, yeah, I'm ready to buy. Those are fantastic. But it's I would consider that different from like a list of leads that you get from, you know, an email campaign or something like that. Um, But it was one of those things where I said, hey, we're going to stop caring about leads as much. Like we'll keep an eye on it, but that's not going to be the first dashboard when we log in in the morning. Um, Instead, we're going to look at these 100 accounts. And what I did was it just the math worked out great. We had 10 salespeople. Each of them got 10 accounts. And I just put a list of 100 accounts on a wall in the office and said, "Okay, these are the ones that we care most about. Like, I'm going to do everything in my power to help each of you generate as many opportunities with these companies as we can. And um, it was tough because you're trying to get 10 people to start thinking differently. Um, you know, they're used to like, you know, the sales reps used to like emailing and calling so many times a day. And when all of a sudden they only care about 10 accounts, they've got a lot more time in the day. And so getting them to break the habits of, volume and start thinking more thoughtfully about like okay who are the people i need to be reaching out to this company who who's the human that's you know going to be on the other end of the phone when i eventually make this call and what do i talk to them about to get them interested and to let them know i really care um was tough and so you know we kind of tried to boil the ocean right off the bat and that was the wrong thing to do i think if i were to do it all over again i would do one of two things one i would start with one rep and one account, and say, like, you and me are gonna team up and we're gonna figure this out together. Like, if all we do this quarter is create an opportunity with this account, um, let's figure out what we need to do so that we can scale it from there. Um, because there's a lot of things, like, I mean, it's just such a different experience that you don't know what to expect. You don't know what you don't know. Um, or, 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 I would have started with our customers. Um, because like they are already our ICP. They already understand the value we're trying to provide. Um, It's easier to kind of build a list of target accounts when they're your customers. And um, could have learned a lot of the the mistakes that I made the first time around um, without compromising pipeline, because it already exists. It was really just focusing on, you know, expanding these customers. And, you know, that's another thing I think, you know, Uh, marketers are not focusing on their customers nearly as much as they they need to and i think 2020 forced that conversation to happen which is great um but that's you know your customers are another marketing channel in a lot of ways if you can get them to be rating fans like that's free marketing
0: exactly so if you let's go to the first thing that you learned around starting with like one account one rep what advice would you give for like, what kind of rep do you pick? Cause I think a lot of times when, you know, I've done this in the past where I've said like, okay, I'm going to partner with like this one rep. And sometimes I partner with the one that is the one that everyone else looks up to. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because I know if I get them on board, everyone else comes. I've also partnered with the one that's going to be like the most skeptical because I know if I get them on board, everyone else will be like, Oh, this is a good idea. How would you recommend? Like, who do who do you target for if you're going to test this out to help really build momentum and build advocacy for it internally, you know, what's the ideal kind of, I guess, overall personality of that rep?
1: I think that's a, that's, it's a really good question. I hadn't really thought about trying to like start with a skeptic. That's, um, I think that's doing it in a hard mode, but I think that results would be really good. I started, I'd start with like the the salesperson that thinks most like a marketer. Um, and working with someone that's got a really high EQ, like emotional intelligence, someone that is really good with people, because at the end of the day, that's that's what it's about. Like, if you're playing a volume game, you don't care about people. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and say it, period. If you're doing a volume game, you don't care about people. If you really care about people, then you care about the experience they're having. And so partnering up with someone that feels the same way as you do about that. Um, and, that's, and, and someone that you get along with, because it, you're going in this together. Um, And they should be on board with it because you're really trying to help them crack open a big account. Um, But it requires that partnership. And that's, I think, one of the toughest things to scale. I think that's why doing it right off the bat with every rep was hard because um, there were 10 different personalities and we hadn't really set an example of, of what this looks like yet.
0: Well, and when you can't prove exactly what works and what doesn't work, everyone has their own ideas and opinions, which makes it harder, right, to figure out what does work and what doesn't work when everyone wants to try 20 different ideas.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So the other thing I want to kind of maybe dive into tied to this subject is let's say you get people on board with this kind of like new approach. How do you prevent them when because obviously I think you mentioned it, right? Like it's going to take time to figure this out, right? How do you get them to not want to default back to like doing it the old way, like the volume play. And I think, I know my team has heard me say this before. Like if you're focused on volume, like that's the definition of like shitty marketing. Yep. <laughs> so how do you think about like, almost like, because I think that's everyone's like natural reaction is like, oh, maybe this isn't as going as fast as we like, or it's not building pipe as fast as we like. Let Like let's just do more ads and more email and let's go back to like, you know, I think of email marketing in the old days, right? Like the bash and blast, like, like let's just do more. <laughs> how exactly. do you get people not to like, want to go back to that and to stay focused on, you know, the path that you're trying to, to really build for them. And what are the metrics that you want them to start thinking about now, instead of like, how many leads do we generate today?
1: I mean, I think without sounding too pie in the sky, I think it comes down to values. Um, if your sales team doesn't share the same values you do. And and maybe this even boils down to like, you know, the brand experience. If they don't share the same values around c- trying to create a really good experience for a customer, I don't know if it'll ever work. Um, I think it might be one of those things where you do kind of have to initiate a shifting culture around that because I, 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 to, like there are a ton of competitors out there, no matter who your business is and the one who starts acting like a leader um, in the category because their brand is great because their buying experience is so great because their people are so great they're going to start to run away with it and so i think it's you know you got to get them thinking about the long game like you know sure if we run a really spammy email campaign it'll result in leads right now but that is short-term thinking and it's kind of toxic um and if you're thinking long-term strategically about The importance of the brand um, and what it means in the marketplace, that's kind of everyone that's customer-facing's job.
0: So we talked, obviously, you're in charge of brand at Terminus, and I know you kind of grew up in the demand gen world, like I did, where, you know, very numbers-focused. How do you think about brand marketing today, then, in 2021, and how you evaluate that you are doing the right things for your brand?
1: It's such a good question, and I don't know if I know. I don't know the answer, but here's what I think. Um, I think things are changing a lot. Like I think brand used to be about consistency and locking things down so things felt familiar um, across the board, and I bet that's still true in a lot of places. But I think, at, you know, millennials are now the largest buying group. Um, that exists and the way they interact with the world is so different than their antecedents that I think brands need to respond to that. Like, it, and I don't have the stat in front of me, but I think it was something. And, you know, maybe I'll put this in the show notes like um, b 2 like millennial B2B buyers are 70% more influenced by their consumer purchasing behavior um, than than you know, uh, what's the, the brand, the generation before us, the uh, Gen X, um, yeah. and that, if you think about kind of the ways that millennials, you know, act on the internet, like they are used to doing everything on the internet. They do all their research online. They don't like to talk to people as much. They are very much more um, susceptible to, I think, flash in the pan pop culture trends. Um, and I think brands need to start acting more like that, like they need to act younger and more like a human being that is funded, you know, you know, someone that you'd follow around on Twitter or Instagram and not saying that you need to orient all your marketing around Twitter and Instagram, but that the brand experience and the way you express it needs to feel a little more like a peer or like, a, you know, a cool person at a party and less around, is this the right Pantone for our brand and this, you know, this copy doesn't match the you know the, the the brand bible or whatever.
0: You're preaching to the choir cuz I agree, right? Like brand used to be like do not use the wrong font. Did you use the right PowerPoint template and all that stuff's still important, but now I feel like it's more about your messaging and the overall emotion that you create for people. One of the things that you said that I think is really important to kind of talk more about is around how millennials expect their buying behavior even in B2B to be more consumer like. So how do you start to tie a consumer-like marketing approach into B2B when so many people for so long have said, oh, well, B2B and B2C are different, which I personally believe is complete bullshit and it's not bullshit. the case. Yeah,
1: it's, <laughs> yeah, it is not. And I think that's one of the coolest things about being in marketing right now is that like, I mean, B2C marketing has always been cool. B2B marketing has been, I mean, I'll go ahead and say it, it's been kind Warren. of lame for a long time, yeah. <laughs> And now we get we, we we get a lot of the same technology and and like you know uh, we have a similar kind of audience that a B two C company does and so I think you know it really it boils down to vibe um, you know are you if you're you know this might work for some people but super corporate sounding messaging um, I I don't think is as important anymore especially with as much noise as there is now it's so easy to get spammed on LinkedIn and email the only way you're going to really you know crack through is if you're entertaining and you're engaging and you, there's like a fun aspect to it and this is certainly not for everyone we do a lot of this at terminus and invariably you know we get a lot of raving fans about something we did and there's always some like sticking them up it's like yeah i don't have time for this i need more facts like i'm busy and i don't have you know you know time to read through or listen to this cool webinar um and that's great. I think that, you know, you should be totally happy making some people unhappy because, um, you know, that's going to happen. Um, but for the most part, people are people, they're human beings and they want to be talked to like that.
0: I love what you just said around. It's okay to make some people unhappy. Cause I feel like there's a generation of marketers who've been like scared to piss people off and they're like, well, I can't, you know, I can't say this because I'll give you like a example. Um, for me right like we market to marketers and sometimes it uses our platform and i think you know we've had these conversations in the past where it's like well don't say anything negative about it and i'm like well i mean yeah but like marketers hate it Mm -hmm. like we don't want to work with them right Mm -hmm. and and it doesn't want to do the things that i care about um so you know what's the what happens if you piss people off i mean so what you can't market to everyone but i think there's this perception that like in B2B, you have to make sure that you don't offend anyone, that, you know, anyone that could potentially ever buy your product would be happy with it versus saying like, no, this is who we are and we're not for everyone. And that's okay. How do you get like one, a seat, like your C-suite on board with that idea, but then two, how do you get your team to understand that, that that is maybe like against everything that they've been taught and have ever done in their career, but it's also the most freeing moment in marketing ever.
1: Yeah. I I think you're exactly right. Like if you're, you you said, if you're trying to market everyone, you're not really doing a good job of it. And if you're not pissing, you know, you shouldn't piss everyone off to be clear. If you're not pissing off, you know, 10% of people, then you're not edgy enough. And I think a, a good way to kind of like look at that is if you're pissing a few people off, it's because your messaging was out there and edgy enough that it would crack through on other people. Right. I think that, Because people are afraid of pissing people off, everything comes out beige and that does not work anymore, especially with as much white noise exists out there. You need to be, you know, a little bit spicy um, in one way or another, you know, whether you're, you're being provocative or you're being, you know, kind of friendly and cute and kind, you do need to kind of have a personality to it. Otherwise, it won't work. You know, you might piss 10% of the people off, but the other 90% of the people will be really thrilled versus no one really giving a shit because everything you do is so boring and safe.
0: And it's exactly like what everyone else does.
1: Exactly. Which is
0: another like complaint I have about B2B marketers in general is I think so many of of us, you know, say like, oh, well, this company is doing this. I'm just going to do what they do. Instead of saying like, is that the right tactic or strategy or channel for my audience is that where my brand should be instead they're just like oh like clubhouse is the latest thing right like everyone clubhouse is blowing up and i feel like in the last couple weeks and everyone's like well we should get on we everyone should get on clubhouse i'm like but why exactly like what is your reason and maybe it makes sense for your brand but also maybe it doesn't so how do you think as being in charge of brand, like how to figure out what works for Terminus and what doesn't and what feels authentic and what is totally outside your lane.
1: Yeah. That's so you said earlier, like this was kind of my first brand job. Like I think, um, I think I've been kind of a closeted brand marketer my whole life because I didn't really know it was a thing. Um, I thought, you know, like I got to be a super numbers oriented marketer to prove my value so I can keep my job so I can get a better job one day. Um, and I think that's a losing game these days. Um, Everyone's got that. Everyone's got access to numbers and it's like, how do you really express the personality of the brand? And so one of the first things I did when I joined um, Terminus was I sat the whole marketing team down in a room and we went through a bunch of like really fluffy exercises. And I I was so uncomfortable at the time being a fluffy marketer, but um, it it shows up in a lot of different ways. Um, And so what we did was we went through like just a lot of brand, brand exercises if 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 terminus was a car what kind of car would it be um you know i we talked a lot about um there's a great book called the hero and the outlaw and it's basically you know saying that there are i think 12 archetypes that exist for every business in the world and you know invariably you are one of them and the more you embrace that the stronger your 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 brand voice comes through um we even personified who terminus was like if terminus was a person she'd be a mid-30s female who lives in chicago who is a very monochromatic wardrobe who listens to a lot of like you know alternative r and and gets a lot of music advice from pitchfork um and like really you know maybe it's true or not but you know if we say this is who terminus is she is this lady her name is tess then it makes it easier for your entire team to start to think about how they're creating content or messages, or you know, what should our content calendar look like? Um, because it's you know, from the point of view of a human being, and so little fluffy things like that. If you can enshrine them and make them part of the marketing culture, it begins to snowball to the point where other people in the company start noticing it, and they start following your, you know, your example and start to try and act a little more like you or a little more like the brand's personality.
0: No, I think that's such a great point. Well, it's funny too. Like I noticed you were saying like, oh, it's fluffy marketing, right? Which I think is why so many of us gravitate towards the only reason, only way to do marketing is with numbers, right? Otherwise we're called fluffy. How do you even get away from using that terminology to get people to say like, no, I know this feels fluffy, but like, it's so important to the core of who we are and the core of what the company does. And brand is, while it does feel like why I can't measure some of these things it really is what's going to drive longevity for our business. It's what's going to drive you know true, true fans and advocates for us. How do you get the, how do you get the sales team? How do you get like the CFO right around these ideas? Or how have you tried to in the past?
1: I think that's such a good question. I think um, it is kind of a fake it till you make it thing. I mean, first let's stop saying the word fluffy. Let's 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 like take back marketing and be be really confident about like, no, this is what marketing is. Marketing is not me being really good at optimizing uh, a cost per click campaign. Marketing is about making people believe in what we're doing and that, you know, we've got a very strong point of view. And I think if you're listening to this, that is what marketing is. Like if you believe to your car that um, your point of view is correct and that the messages you're putting out in the market are the winners, people, you know, it comes down to them questioning you as a person and you know that's a different conversation but i think just acting like this is marketing this is what i'm hired to do if you want me to optimize a cpc campaign i can do it but that's not what marketing is marketing is telling a really strong story and um if people don't get behind it then um I, i think if you believe really down to your core people will get behind it and if they don't then um i think there's a bigger philosophical question that you need to ask yourself
0: That's also why I tell marketers like you should never go work for a company that you don't believe in your core, what they're doing. Because if you don't believe it, like you just default to, I think like the bad marketing habits, which are like, Oh, I'm just going to optimize CPC campaigns. We're just going to send more email. We're just going to do all these things to generate these numbers. So I hit my goals versus truly like creating a, like a, I think great marketing is a movement, right? A company where they're like, they have a position and they create these fans and followers that love everything about them and start to like, almost market for you, right? Like that to me is like, that's where we all should go.
1: Exactly. I think you're exactly. And you know what, if, if you don't care about what you're doing, I think it's another reason that people make bad decisions and have really crappy marketing. And that's unfortunate. Like not everyone can have their dream job, but you're absolutely right. Like you need to find a reason to really believe and fall in love with your company. Otherwise it won't show up as authentic.
0: We just spent the last 30 minutes really talking about shitty marketing, and I want to leave you with something to really think about today, what great marketing looks like. Great marketing doesn't make everyone happy. Great marketing causes people to complain about it. Why? Because you stand for something. You stand for something that's different than everyone else. You have a clear voice in the market, and you stick to it, and everyone that works for you is super passionate. And it really does echo throughout every level of the organization. That is great marketing. That's a great brand. And when you do that, your marketing tactics that you implement are so much more fun and they're no longer boring. So I think all of us need to spend some time thinking about what do we stand for as a company? What does our brand stand for? And is that something we're super passionate about? If not, what the hell are you doing there? And if you do love your job, how can you think about amping it up and amping up what you stand for so it is disruptive, it is unique in the market? That's when marketing gets to be really great and really fun. You've been listening to Real Marketers. If you love what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And don't forget to tell a friend. All of this marketing goodness shouldn't be kept a secret.